All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 250. Jason Lingren is with me and Mark Passio is with me. Uh, I just wanted to make a note as we jump in. I did get my Sefer Bible finally. Ironically, one of Owen's crew was doing the shipping, recognized my name and hooked me up. So thank you for that. Uh, I hear a lot of people going both ways on this. And I'll ask a simple question. Uh, If you're going to bag on it or make comments for it, have you read it? I'm just going to ask because I I got it. I read a lot. You're not burning through that in a week or a month. There's a lot there to go through. Uh, from my point of view, there's a lot of extra material. I got the lexicon with it. The beauty of the lexicon is it's another opportunity to get someone's take on what a name means or other words. So in my view, more information is good. Uh, anyhow, welcome, Jason. Good morning. How goes it? Uh, it's a beautiful day here. How about you? Uh, it's fantastic here it's starting to feel a little bit like fall so uh, we're not roasting anymore i heard my uh, hometown is on fire pretty bad in california though yeah uh, lots of it is on fire uh, sociologically and physically unreal when we were growing up my wife and i in that area you know you got a fire that mattered every eight ish years 10 years maybe uh now it's seasonal so go figure what's that about well <laughs> we could do several shows on that if you like yeah well we'll have a lot of Freeland back at some point and it will all relate, but, uh, we got anything or should we jump in? Oh, let's do this. All right. Long time coming. Welcome Mr. Mark Passio. Pro. Thank you so much for inviting me on the show. Honor to be here. Cool. Cool. Um, so I think we've kind of decided, well, let, let me, uh, let me lay down. You kind of reached out as I was thinking about doing an episode that I would have had to research a lot more because I can't pull it off the top. Well, I can pull some of it off the top of my head. Um, it had to do with the trivium and the quadrivium. What we're seeing is a lot of parents pulling their young ones out of school because they're tired of the nonsense. Um, we've mentioned what I, I don't even know if it's the right word. I call it a classical education. What I'm referring to, it was typically called the seven liberal arts back in the 1800s. And don't get hung up. That word is now a political football. It did not mean then what it means now. Uh, for good reason. It's just more obscuring of the things that made us intelligent. And everybody knows where our school is going. In that, uh, I wanted to get someone who's well-versed in these ideas and get them on because a lot of parents are interested in doing a better job educating their young ones. So where do you think is a good place to jump in, Mark? Well, I think a really good place is just let's look at what the trivium uh, means from an etymological standpoint. Uh, I always like to break down the meaning of words by going to their etymology, uh, their roots, uh, where they came from in ancient languages, because that can help us to understand what the intention of the word really means. So uh, the word trivium itself uh, is derived from the ancient Latin, and uh, the first part of it, tri, T-R-I, comes from uh, tres tria in Latin, which means three, the number three. And then the second part, vium, uh, comes from the Latin via, uh, the, the noun via, which means uh, a way, a path, a road, or a method. So uh, when we put them together, uh, trivium simply means the three ways, the three paths, the three roads, the three methods. It's a threefold discovery methodology. That's what it literally means out of its etymological roots. It, it is a threefold method. So what is the threefold method and what is it there to do? I think that's a good place to really start just breaking down what it actually is and means. Uh, the threefold method of the trivium is a uh, truth discovery methodology. It's a, it's really an ancient form of in modern, in the modern day, what we refer to as the scientific methodology. And the three steps are classically, uh, they were known as grammar, logic, and rhetoric. Now that's, as you said before, the classical liberal arts education methodology. And again, we're not using that term liberal in the political sense that it is used in today. This just means something that is based in knowledge that will get you to a place of freedom. Because in ancient Latin, as I've said many times, the word liber, uh, which is where the word liberal comes from, actually meant two things. It meant book in Latin, meaning knowledge, and it meant free 
in Latin. So the word in Latin, liber, actually meant both book and free. That is how tied together in the ancient world knowledge was to freedom. You know, if we saw it like that today, we might not be in the mess that we're in as a whole culture, as a whole society, as a whole species. You know, if we saw the incredible importance and inextricable tie to knowledge that freedom truly has, that literally our ancient predecessors actually used the same word to represent books and freedom. And uh, this is what the usage of the trivium will get us to if we use it correctly. It will actually take us to out of enslavement, out of darkness and toward light and toward freedom because the word education again we just stick with this breaking down of words and looking at where they came from education literally means it comes from the latin educare which means to lead out from to lead out from okay to to pull one out of something and what a true education what the true classical education did was it led us out of the darkness of ignorance and toward the light of knowledge if it was used correctly. So, um, you know, I guess that's a, a good place to start is just looking at the power of the meaning of words, what the word trivium actually means, and then, you know, what it is used to do. Because we've fallen away from this methodology in so-called modern education. It's not employed anymore in the school system. And there's a reason for that. They don't want the slaves of the world today having access to a freeing methodology when it comes to really analyzing and understanding information that is all around us and coming to an accurate and correct conclusion of it, especially regarding concepts like authority, like our rights, like what the state of human freedom should actually be in the world versus where it is at. They don't want the average member of the population who is ill-educated, who is indoctrinated, not educated, to be able to come to correct conclusions about philosophical matters like that because they want to maintain a power differential over people. They want to maintain their control, and they maintain that control, the power differential that they have, by maintaining a knowledge differential. This is what I have always said throughout my work over the years is their main tactical advantage. The occultists that really run the show in this world, and that is who really does it. It's not bankers. It's not politicians. It's not even what we would classically refer to as the deep state or the shadow government, or what anybody else wants to call it, who really sits enthroned behind the corridors of ostensible power, the seen level of power of the politicians, bankers, etc., is a priest class. It's a class of occultists, who I refer to as dark occultists. And they have knowledge that they have kept to themselves over the generations of time. And they do that in order to maintain a power differential over other people. That is their main modus operandi of operating. This occult priest class has knowledge about not only how every aspect of the human mind works, every aspect of psychology works from an ancient perspective, but they know about how the real laws of nature work, mainly when it comes to the moral laws of nature, but not just the laws that govern physical dynamics in creation, but the laws that actually govern behavioral consequence, what we might call karmic law or moral law, what I refer to and many other philosophers and researchers have referred to as natural law. These occultists know how that works as well. And you can come to the conclusions about these things using the trivium, actually employing the trivium or what I would just call the ancient scientific methodology that has been around in the, in the human consciousness for probably tens of thousands of years, if we employ this, we are really using the true scientific method as far as I'm concerned. And if you compare the two, if you compare the trivium and the modern scientific method, they're really pretty much identical. Well, there's, there's a couple points to be made here just to let people know how far we've fallen 
from just the 1800s. And it's provable. The differential you're talking about in knowledge, uh, almost everything that goes on in our world is about your mind, what you can be convinced to believe in. And I would point out what Mark's about to cover here. He mentioned rhetoric, rhetoric and grammar. Uh, if we went to Tibet before China knocked it over, every one of those places was teaching argument and rhetoric. And the reason was, is because it is a fire that burns out the falsehood. Everybody argues everything until what is true comes to the top. And they have methods to discover what is what should be accepted and what should not be accepted. And that is a wolf's cry away from what we get now. Because what we get now is read this, memorize this, regurgitate this. And by the way, don't question this because we just called it science. So as we get in here, it's not just the Western world or, you know, what we can track back to Rome. Even in the Asiatic cultures, there were equal versions of what we're about to talk to. And basically, before you jump in and start going through this, Mark, I would define this as a way to get to your higher mind, as a way to acquire the tools that for most intents and purposes, you are not easily foolable anymore. That's exactly right. You know, and being able to have that debate, that questioning and that back and forth is part of civil discourse. It's like today, people don't even want to have a conversation about it. They're like indoctrinated members of a cult that are just repeating the cult beliefs that are handed down to them. And they don't even want to have a fleshing out of evidence and, uh, you know, of information. So that's why the trivium to have it in hand is so important, especially in our modern world. And, you know, just before we even get into breaking down the three steps of the trivium, you have to know that the entirety of this process is really a threefold process that involves the trivium, the trivium, the quadrivium, and then the usage of the human five senses. That's the ultimate threefold path of this methodology of truth discovery that we're about to talk about, with the trivium being a basic building block in that, you could say, that trinity of tools. Uh, and we can get a little bit into the quadrivium later as well. Let's lay down something real quick. I wanted to do this up front. I'm sorry for interrupting. For those parents out there, you can get a hold of the quadrivium and the trivium just by doing a search for the names, but they're within a series of books these days called the wooden books, like wood from a tree, the wooden book series. Um, there's all these smaller books, but for the most part, most of the smaller books are excerpts from one or the other, the quadrivium or the trivium. If you're going to start, probably start with one of those two. Mark and I talked a little bit before we went on, and I said to Mark, I feel like they're kind of abridged from what used to be available. And Mark agreed with me. But nonetheless, just so you know where you can get a start if this is the direction you choose to go. And by the way, grammar and rhetoric can be found in the trivium. What's the third one in the trivium, Mark? Grammar, logic, and rhetoric. There it is. And that's a critical one. That's what we don't get. Well, we get a little bit of grammar. But anyhow, sorry for interrupting. Go ahead. Well, rhetoric has even been turned into almost a negative connotation in this day and age. They perverted everything, but anyway. You're right, because when you hear the talking heads on CNN or Fox, you're being told that that's rhetoric. That is the misuse of rhetoric. That's right, exactly, because rhetoric, the third stage, is taking action based on what you've come to understand. So that's really when you put what you know into action in the right way, in the true sense of rhetoric. That's really wisdom. And, you know, we could break down the trivium. I like to break it down from three points of view. You could look at it from the sense of the classical trivium, which is really kind of in the middle as far as time goes, you know, but I like to really explain the trivium from the ancient perspective, the ancient trivium. And these tools were in hand deep into human antiquity. Okay. They're not modern. The ancient Egyptians understood these concepts, even going back into pre- Diluvian times, this was understood by our ancient human ancestors. The ancient trivium you could look at as knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. This has been called the occult version of the trivium or the esoteric version. Okay. So that's the ancient, deep into the human antiquity, the version that they use and the words that they sort of use to represent it. Knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. The classic trivium, which we've been talking about classical liberal arts education methodology was grammar, logic, and rhetoric. And then I like to apply a modern way of looking at the trivium through what we might call modern information models, like computing models even. And that is input 
processing and output, which everybody would simply understand from a computing point of view. You know, this is what is done with information when it's entered into a computer, processed, and then output. So we could look at it in any of these ways, but the steps remain the same. The first step of the trivium, whether you're talking about the ancient trivium, the classical trivium, or the modern trivium, is knowledge or grammar. So it's knowledge in the ancient, grammar in the classical, and in the modern system, this would be the input phase. Okay, So this is the gathering or aggregation of information. That's the very first step. It constitutes gathering or aggregating all potential forms of information that may or even may not be relevant. You have to take in a whole lot of information to be able to have enough cross-comparison data that when you go into the processing stage, you're not missing any pieces, any variables, any components. So this is information gathering. It's the information that you're gathering so that you can process it and then come to an understanding of it and then act upon it. Now, one could say that this is the most important step of the trivium, the knowledge step the grammar step, the information gathering from all information, available information sources. And here's why. If you don't do that step, and I would qualify that with a caveat, if you don't do that step thoroughly enough, if you don't gather enough data, if you miss anything in that step, you are going to proceed to the next steps with incomplete data, with incomplete information. That's number one of critical importance to understand when it comes to the grammar or knowledge step of the trivium, the first step of it, okay? You cannot leave out important variables or data because if you do, the next two steps aren't going to yield positive results. They're not going to yield results that are going to really take you to an accurate understanding of what you want to study, nor is it going to lead you to correct action, okay? Now, the step by which our reality is ultimately controlled is that step one. Because what are the current controllers of the world attempting to do? They're trying to hide knowledge from the people or censor available knowledge from the people. They know that as long as people have the totality of the data set, the other steps of the trivium can and would potentially follow. So they have to control the entire perception of reality based upon availability of information and information not reaching people's eyes and ears. That's how scared they are that this would become almost an organic process, that if information were out there and available to people in a wide way and an easy to obtain and an easy to digest way, okay, that the people would come to an accurate understanding of it, and then act rightly upon it. And this is part of what we as publishers struggle with, what we as a form of media personalities often struggle in getting the information out there to others because of the control over information, the control over media platforms and social media platforms that is out there, the control over information sharing platforms. You know, this censorship agenda is really, it's really diminishing the information pool that is out there. I would say 10 to 12 to 15 years ago, at least let's say 10 years ago for sure, there was way more information online about what is going on in the world than now. Easily available, I should say. The censorship effort has made it, has pushed it into what we might call the dark web. It has pushed it into much more difficult to find places that you need to be a little bit tech savvy in order to obtain. And that's a very bad direction. It's a direction that is going to inexorably push us more toward physical confrontation and conflict as time goes on. Because if you control that level of information availability and you enact censorship, you are really preventing a peaceable evolution in consciousness and you're forcing what could be a very traumatically violent one. And it's not a good precedent that has been set regarding the availability of information. This first step is where everything is based upon, is hinged upon, and 
It's really where the world is controlled through that availability of knowledge. This is why you have the modern secret societies, the modern dark occult orders of the intelligence agencies nested inside the media, nested inside education, nested inside big tech. There's no accident that that is done that way. Those are the modern dark occult orders or secret societies. The societies like the Rosicrucians, the Freemasons, uh, et cetera, they still play their role in this, of course. But if you want to get to the real modern dark occult secret societies in our world, you need to look no further than the intelligence agencies of any government, the CIA, the NSA. DNI, the Department of Naval Intelligence, uh, NRO, the National Reconnaissance Office, and the list goes on and on and on with the alphabet agencies. But these are the people who are ultimately working through big tech, the media, et cetera, to curtail available information and prevent it from getting out there in a very easy to digest manner by the mainstream public. And that's why they have their lying talking heads on the media 24 hours a day giving us Incorrect information, misinformation, wrong grammar, wrong knowledge. It's not knowledge, it's misinformation. And that clouds the waters when it comes to even gathering what's out there. It adds noise to the signal, you might say. It makes it like looking for good information or good knowledge, uh, like looking for a needle in a haystack often. And this is part of what I try to teach people, especially when it comes to teaching modern information technology methods. In order to gather the knowledge correctly, you really have to employ some modern computing skills and techniques in order to go onto places of the internet that exist, but most people don't even know exist. How many people really know in a really deep or complete way how to utilize BitTorrent and obtain information through that? How many people know very unknown ways of downloading books online, digital books? I mean, they'll go on Amazon and and buy a physical book, but that'll only get you so far with how much you could obtain unless you're very rich, especially with rare books, which are often out of print and would be a lot to purchase physically. How many people know how to download EPUB and PDF documents from book information pools or where those places on the internet even are? People don't even know how to go about doing that or build a digital library on their computer of ebooks. How many people would know other ways of downloading videos through secondary video sharing websites like uh, BitChute or Library? Most people only know how to type in to a Google search engine or hit the video tab on Google and look through some YouTube videos or go to YouTube and use their search engine. By design, I might add. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They're taking that knowledge down from that pool of information. They don't want that in there because they only want the information that's going to support or the worldview, you could say. It's misinformation. They only want the data that essentially supports their worldview and their narrative. So you have to go to alternative sources for knowledge these days. And most people don't even know or understand at all the process of doing that. It's part of what I'm currently teaching in my seminar, How to Become the True Media, the online webinar. And it's something that more people have to really understand how to do. Eclectic information gathering is just what I refer to it as. How do you really truly search the web and the dark web in a climate of internet big tech censorship? This takes a little bit of alternative skill sets when it comes to computing that most people right now do not possess. They do not know, especially the older generations, unfortunately. You know, they really haven't made total friends with this technology that we refer to as the internet and modern computing. And then you could even say the younger generations have been sort of duped into just accepting that phones and tablets are where it's at. And that's all you need. A lot of people don't even have powerful computers anymore. Powerful desktop systems and powerful laptops were almost pushed away from people and phased out. They want people on these devices that have limited creative capabilities that make interfacing with the device more difficult than with a computer that you can interface with a large keyboard and a mouse. And they want people locked in, in lockstep with digital mobile platforms like iOS, Android, etc. on a very small screen. This is 
killing computing. This is killing what could be good information gathering. Now there's the watch, right? So they've gone from exactly what you said. Now they're pushing the iWatch, which is even smaller. But I want to make a point here to pull back around to the trivium where you're pointing out that it's knowledge and it's grammar, depending on what period of time, it means the same thing. And it is the foundation. People in this era could understand what you've said in this way. When we got into the computer age, I forget who said it. It's almost like a law. I don't know what it's called. I've forgotten. But good data in, good data out, bad data in, bad data out. That's from the computer age. And this is exactly the principle which Mark is hitting on here. Back in the day in the 1800s, there was maybe a little more obvious stratification. You could tell by the clothes. You could tell by a lot of things in a society about the stratification. Where were you in that society? But one of the big things was education. So back then, when these tools were available to allow people to reach for the higher mind, what you actually were saying is, well, this person already speaks Latin and Greek. Um, They came from this family, and they have open access. So there was a whole subsection of society that spoke one language barely, and they had very limited knowledge beyond that. So as we moved up into the computing age, now everyone pretty much, for the most part, can get access to a computer. So you can see what's going on here. But Mark, if we're going to pull it around and we've kind of touched on the grammar, let's try to define out uh, the remaining parts of the trivium. Because after all, learning how to use computers, yeah. uh, But what we're pointing out here is these books exist right now. And this is the older way. And who knows? Maybe there's a period of time in the future where it's hard to get these books. But this is a path you can employ now whether you're savvy with tech or whether you're not. These are the remnants of this kind of higher-minded tool that was, as Mark pointed out, uh, time immemorial. Who knows how far it went back? And not just in the West, all over the Asiatic cultures, all over the world, the ideas of rhetoric and grammar and ways to take information, apply the fire, burn away the parts you don't want, and keep that little valuable nugget that you have the tools to find, which we've lost, haven't we? When we go online, someone's ready to jump into gray aliens or rectally probing someone. Well, there's bad information in. Every word out of your mouth based on that information is going to be bad information out. And we've also come to a time when there's really no evidence. It's almost like we've been taught, well, should I believe this? Okay, I'll just believe this. Okay, now this is what I believe. And so go ahead, Mark, get back into it. Because these are the tools that prevent that kind of random believing in stuff. That's right. I like how you put it, that the trivium is really the methodology to lead us to our higher mind, our higher selves. That's exactly true. And this is what the modern indoctrination system is preventing by giving us bad information. Again, if we act upon that, if we take that in and then we act upon it, it's going to be bad output in the world through human behavior. That's what we're ultimately getting to is how our whole society, how we build our entire world society as a species is through available information, whether we understand it, uh, whether we've come to an accurate decision-making processes, and then what we do, our behavior. So the input stage, the grammar or knowledge stage is you're gathering the data from an eclectic array of sources and you're not prejudging it. You're just taking in the data at that point. So this data is going to answer some major questions in the truth discovery process. It's the who, what, when, and where stage, the raw data. Okay. Now, when we get to the second step, which in the ancient trivium, this was understanding. So we have the knowledge now, we have enough information and variables. We've gathered it in eclectically. Okay. We've aggregated it all in one place, and we're going to start performing processing on that data. We're going to start performing data transforms on it. This is the logic stage classically in the trivium. In the ancient, it was understanding. In the classic, it's logic. In the modern stage, this is the information processing stage. Okay, So this is how you're going to know what the data that you just took in ultimately means. Okay, You're going to understand why it's important. This answers the question, why this step? What's the reason behind this? What's the meaning to this? What's the purpose? Okay, so we get the raw data in step one. Step two, it's going to give us the understanding of the information so that we can answer the question, what does this mean? Okay, and this is going to ultimately direct 
human decision-making processes. This part, the processing stage, the logic, the understanding, the mid-stage of the trivium, okay, it's going to basically be the foundation upon which action is taken. See, when you ask the question, why do people act a certain way, right? If people ask that question, but when we ask it, it's going to invariably come back. They act the way that they act because of what they think they understand based upon the knowledge that they took in. You see how the trivium works in an entire basis about how all of human society is structured and behaves. The individual bases their behavior on their understanding, the mid-stage of the trivium. And that in turn is based upon the information that they took in or didn't take in, you know, whether they have knowledge or they're ignorant, whether they have understanding in the second stage of the trivium or whether they're totally confused. They don't know what it means. Okay. So this processing stage, this understanding or logical stage of the trivium, this is where you're weeding out all logical inconsistencies from your data set. Okay. It's actually itself comprised of three sub steps. Okay. Sub processes. Okay. So the sub processes of the logic step of the trivium, the second or middle stage, this processing step are filtration, correlation, and analysis. Those are the three sub steps of part two of the trivium. And this is where we utilize the quadrivium, which is really the data analysis tool set, you could say. It is the quantification tool set of the trivium, and that's a four-part phase. But this is used in the processing phase of the trivium, the processing step, which has these three basic sub-steps. Filtration of data, you're filtering it, you're weeding out inconsistencies in the data set, you're correlating it, you're looking at how all the different pictures of the puzzle pieces fit together. And then you're analyzing it. You're ultimately asking, what is the reason, meaning, or purpose behind this aspect of data, okay, or this knowledge? And once we do that, it's not just the observation step. This is like the refining of hypotheses step. This is getting to the point where you're coming to an understanding of what all the information that you gathered in the observation step of the scientific method, what those sets of data mean, okay, and how they all fit together. So this is, again, a very critical step because if you don't logically process all of the data that you've come to and come to an accurate understanding of what it means, you're not going to act rightly upon it, which is the third step of the trivium, which is rhetoric, wisdom, or the output phase if we're looking at it from the computer model. Okay, so, and again, wisdom was how they worded this third step in the ancient trivium. Okay, so wisdom was about action, right? See, wisdom people traditionally think of as knowledge. No, knowledge is separate from wisdom. Knowledge is gathering the raw data and having that in hand. And then understanding means that you have correlated that data set and you know why it's important. You've answered the question, why? What does it mean? What is its reason or purpose? Okay. In this third step, wisdom, wisdom doesn't just mean knowledge. Wisdom means doing the right thing with what you have come to know and understand in the first two steps of the trivium. Okay. So wisdom is actually right action. A lot of people confuse wisdom with just knowledge. It is not. Being wise does not mean that you're very knowledgeable. There are many very knowledgeable people, okay, who know a whole lot who aren't very wise, okay? We could look at just the examples of people in the medical community or the scientific community. They could be very knowledgeable people, but it doesn't make them wise. It doesn't make them wise individuals. It doesn't make them very spiritual individuals. It doesn't make them people who really want to do the right thing, okay, with what they have come to know or understand. They will often use it the wrong way, and that means that they don't have any wisdom. Wisdom is action. It's knowledge and understanding put into right action. That's literally what wisdom is. That's this third step of the trivium, which means once you have the knowledge and you have the understanding, so you have all the raw data, you know who, what, when, and where, right? You have the meaning behind it, the why. What's the meaning of all of this? How does it all fit together? Then you have to answer the third question, well, what am I going to do now? How is this knowledge going to be used so that real change can be created, so that we could actually really do something positive with it? That's the output stage, the rhetoric, the wisdom, okay? And just think about it. That's behavior. 
what we do with what we know and understand is human behavior. So when we look at this in a reality model, in a building of reality, how our reality is built, people are going to gather information or not gather information. They're going to understand the information or they're not going to understand it. They're going to come to a place of wisdom about what they know and understand and do the right thing, or they're not going to do that. So you have knowledge or ignorance in the first step. That's the first step. It's human beings arriving at a place of knowledge or remaining in ignorance. Then in the second step, they come to an accurate understanding or they remain confused. And in the third step, they employ wisdom, meaning they do the right thing with what they know and understand at that point, or they engage in total folly, which means that they act ignorantly and they remain in a place of confusion and their behavior reflects that. So each individual's behavior is going to be based on the quality of their decision-making in step two, the understanding phase, which in turn is based on the quality of their knowledge or information gathering in stage one. So we have all these examples that are left over and I'll just throw them out because people have a better understanding of these old cliches. So what's the old cliche there, Mark? Uh, fool me once, shame on you. Right. Fool me twice, shame on me. It's exactly, this is derived exactly from what Mark just said, because I might've had my guard down and you were able to fool me, but I've got the tools to determine whether you're up to no good. So if you do it to me again, that's on me. This is why, because people were given these tools. Biblically, we could say separating the wheat from the chaff, right? There's all these ideas or the idea of purification through fire. Same idea going on here. How do you get to a meaningful, worthwhile bit of knowing? Not belief. Notice how I'm not saying belief because that is one of the biggest problems right now. Oh, I saw this on TV. Now I believe it. This is what I believe. And the big problem with belief, which is contrary to the process See, what Mark is pointing out does not lead you to believing in things. It leads you to knowing things. And there is a major difference. In the modern era, when we come to believe things, it's a royal pain in the you-know-what because most people who choose to believe a thing, it's just a choice based on nothing of value. And then it is very difficult for a lot of people to unbelieve what they have chosen to believe. And so what Mark is pointing out is antithetical to the idea of just deciding to believe in a thing. Did I say that right? I think that's perfectly accurate the way you just explained it. We are trying to get people to analyze data that is before them, not believe anything. That's it. I said right. at the very beginning of when I started What on Earth is Happening from day one, the most dangerous thing anybody can do is believe what I'm saying. I don't want you to believe what I'm saying. I don't want belief. I'm trying to destroy belief, believe it or not. Uh, I am trying to destroy models of faith and just wildly believing something. I think that we should use our wonderful intellect and intuitive capabilities both together to come to accurate understandings of information of what is out there in our world so that we can act rightly upon it. And no belief is required in that. You could say that maybe one initial leap of faith is required, that the truth is there that it exists and it can be known. It can come to be known. These are the tools for knowing it. These are the tools for coming to a place of knowledge, understanding, and wisdom in our world so that we can generate a different result, so that we can manifest, we can co-manifest reality differently than we have been. We have been unconsciously co-creating our reality. We have been creating our reality in ignorance, in confusion, and in folly. The first, second, and third step of the trivium, we have it all out of order, not even out of order. We're failing at it, okay, societally. That's why we're in a place of chaos. That's why we're in a place of the destruction of true spirituality. That's why we're in a place of enslavement. We have not engaged these methods. We have left them at the door. We have left them on the back burner. We are not receiving true education in our modern society through the classical liberal arts education methodology known in the ancient world as the trivium. We are not engaged in real education of our young. Instead, they go indoctrination. Again, education comes from the Latin prefix e meaning out of and ducere meaning to lead. So to lead out. To lead out of what? To lead out of darkness, to lead out of ignorance. That's what real education is. We don't have that in the modern school system. We have indoctrination. So look at what that means in Latin. In literally means in or into. 
in Latin, the prefix in. And then doctrere means to speak into. Okay. So indoctrination means to speak into one. It doesn't mean to lead one out from. It means to put information in through speaking, through speech. Okay. Indoctrination. Docere means to speak in Latin. So indoctrination means to speak something into someone. It doesn't mean to lead them out from ignorance or out of darkness. Let's give an example, Mark. Let's just give a simple, quick example of even not going to the full extent, but just simply applying common sense. So you know what, Mark? I saw this TV show the other night on UFOs, and I believe in UFOs. So let's give an example of how a person can just cursorily take a look at what they're about to try to boil down to see if there's anything there. First of all, words have meaning, don't they? UFO. Well, what does that mean? Unidentified flying object. So now you have just stated you believe in unidentified things. At the very surface, barely scratched anything, a person who has brought just the tiniest bit of logic already has a good idea that this thing I'm looking at, maybe I shouldn't be believing in it. What would you add to that example, Mark, if you were just cursorily looking to try to find a good path? I believe in UFOs. Mark, what do you think about that? I mean, I would say that there's nothing to believe in. If it's an unidentified object in our airspace, that is all that it is. It's something that is in the airspace that we don't know what it is. So you don't jump to any conclusions about it unless you have enough data, unless you can say, well, that doesn't conform to any potential aircraft pattern or technology. It's no covert technology that we may know about that is uh, being developed. And you wouldn't jump to conclusions and go to the rhetoric stage to say that you know what it means unless you had enough information to apply the logic step, the mid stage of the trivium, the processing stage to actually analyze what it was you were seeing. Could you ever have enough information with what we're talking about? Or is it set up from the get-go to never provide enough information to make a logical deduction? Yeah, I think you could, but that's the problem is that these things are classified that we are not given the information that is gathered. You know, we don't have the type of equipment to study and analyze what is being seen as the military does and more likely than not already has done if it isn't theirs. You know, so that's the whole point is the priest class holds this knowledge back and they hold it back because they want to maintain their power differential. If people sort of, if just following this example of the UFO possibly being some type of non-terrestrial technology, well, it certainly isn't running on carbon-based fuels like gasoline. It's not something that we're going to use a combustion engine in. And that's why they may want to hide what it is or what it comes from is certainly going to get people asking questions. And so what do they do? They compartmentalize it. They put it into special access projects and they hide that information from people so that we cannot process it and come to an accurate understanding of it. And this is the priest class that I'm talking about. They will take information that is potentially transformative or even freeing of humanity and they will hide it. They will occult it so that the knowledge cannot even reach people's eyes and ears. They will occult it or even censor it. And then once that step of the trivium is made impossible, once you cannot actually eclectically gather information from a wide variety of sources and look at all of the analysis of the data, you can't perform the analysis on the data because you don't even have the data. You are completely stymied right there. It is impossibility for anyone to move forward in analyzing any aspect of that particular data set. And that's why this priest class is an occult priest class. That's why they believe in the occultation of knowledge, the hiding of knowledge, the sequestering of knowledge behind sort of a knowledge firewall. That's why the intelligence agencies have access to knowledge that the rest of humanity is not allowed to access. They cannot have that. The military does that. Anybody who wants to maintain power over others knows that the first step of the trivium is power. Knowledge is power. Really what it is, is knowledge is the possibility for power because a knowledge differential creates a power differential. That's why they have to keep that information hidden, secret, or occulted. 
And we have really let them do that. We have said, oh, we're going to let them set this up in the interest of national security. We're going to let them set this up in the interest of our protection and defense. But it's all an abdication of personal responsibility. You let people set up information sequestering through intelligence agencies, through like the National Security Act of 1947 and the subsequent building of the military industrial security complex, you're invariably going to lose freedom because they're going to start sequestering knowledge away from the public, potential transformative technologies, potential healing technologies. I mean, look at what they did with people like Royal Raymond Reif, you know, who was curing cancer, every conceivable form of cancer. And then the American Medical Association comes along and shuts him down at the behest of the Rockefeller Foundation and their medical protocols. And ultimately, this is because the real occult ruling priest class doesn't want people knowledgeable. It doesn't want them healthy. It doesn't want them having access to any advanced technologies. Slaves don't get access to that stuff. I tell an anecdotal story that I read in the classical Latin when I was in high school in Gaius Julius Caesar's war journals. He's going on a tour of Gaul, of some of his troops that are stationed in Gaul, what was then France, as the Roman Empire is trying to push northward and conquer France, what is now France, which was then Gaul. And his centurions are in an encampment in the Gallic region. And one of them is, you know, they, they took slaves with them to perform ancillary duties like carrying equipment and things like that. Again, the Romans had a master class and a a free class of people and a slave class, as did the ancient Egyptians and probably just about every other ancient culture. But he sees one of his centurion soldiers talking to one of the slaves who is in the encampment, probably setting up equipment or getting ready to carry equipment. And he's talking with him and he's telling him how the free class of people learn the trivium from their parents and teachers in their schools. And he's telling him what the trivium is in this story, in this uh, war journal. And Caesar sees the centurion doing this, and he goes over to him, and he tells him, how dare you do this? You are telling one of our slaves from our culture what the trivium is, what it is, what it can do, what it's used for. He said, soon he'll not want to be a slave anymore. He will not want to continue to be a slave when you teach him the trivium, because he'll be able to figure out that this is an unjust condition that he is being held in, that no human being should be held in, in chattel slavery. There so it is. He tells the centurion that he will have other soldiers put him out into the wilderness of Gaul and leave him there for the Gauls to deal with if he continues to teach the slave, the trivium. Think about that. He tells one of his own soldiers, if you keep telling this slave what the trivium method is and how it works, I will have other soldiers take you and leave you in the wilderness of our enemy so that they can find you and deal with you. It tells you what it means. It means that it teaches critical thinking. That's right. And that's that. And that's exactly what they don't want everyone to have. That's right. Teach you how to think. It's like the difference of living in the forest and these guys have steel axes and these guys do not. Almost. It's a tool above all others. But Mark, we got to wrap up our one. So we come in under an hour. Uh, If I'm not mistaken, when he comes back from Gaul, isn't that when he crosses the Rubicon? Yeah, we get those kinds of things. But I'll, I'll add one thing to kind of bolster the importance of the higher minded tools that have been laid down here. Think about the James Shelby Downard, for those of you that have read King Kill 33. Look at how much knowledge is gathered before anything is done. This place has a name. This name means this. It's in this latitude. It's in this longitude. It's in this city that was named in this year. Just a massive, massive, massive bit of knowing going on there. And that's exactly what Mark was pointing out in the first steps of the Trivium. Now, what gets tricky in our age, and maybe we'll touch on this, I want to get into the quadrivium an hour or two, is so much of what we see done these days is plausibly deniable. But it doesn't matter, because when you get to your higher mind, there is a bit of knowing going on there, and you can smell when the damn biscuits are burning in the oven. No one can tell you that the biscuits are not burning in the oven. You just know they are. But Jason, anything you want to add before I wrap? I hope everyone can really understand the importance of what was just pointed out in this first hour. The capability for critical thinking 
is being taken away and has been taken away from so many people in this modern age. And it's exactly what you need to be able to identify what's going on around you or you'll have the situation like we're in right now. Well, what, what did I do with you? You know, you're one of the few people that I talk to regularly that's not my family. What did I do with you, what, one or two years ago? I sent your daughter a copy of the Quadrivium and the Trivium, didn't I? That is the level of importance. But we've got to wrap. So that brings hour one of episode 250 with Mark Passio and Jason Lindgren to a close. We're going to come back in hour two and we're going to get into the Quadrivium and other things. We're going to open up a little bit more because this will run on YouTube. Crow777radio.com is the only real Crow site, so all the others are doing fraudulent things. Join us on the other side at Crow777radio.com. The free hour will be posted there, but for members, if you log in, there's the second hour, and that's where we're really going to dig in and not have to guard our speech at all, although I feel like it was pretty pretty openly delivered in hour one here. So join us on the other side at Crow777radio.com for the second hour of episode 250, and I'd like to wish you all a happy, healthy, and higher-minded year ahead. There it is, man. Cheers. Is the enemy of knowing.